Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas to you. That's right. Christmas morning. Bruce comes down your chimney, throws his bag over his shoulder, walks over to your tree, and unloads the newest episode of the Bruce Exclusive. Listen, the way holidays have gone thus far this year, I have had a podcast drop on Thanksgiving Day, Black Friday, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. So I kind of got the short end of the stick because I don't know if you know this or not, less people listen to podcasts on those days than they normally would, which is kind of a bummer for me. But if I tell you you're getting it on Thursday and Friday, what I mean is you're getting it on Thursday and Friday. I am a man of my word. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And just because it's Christmas doesn't mean that we're going to do things any differently than we normally would because it's Friday. And on Friday, we do almighty takes. We take a break. We come back. We do crumbling the cookies for the upcoming game. In this case, a Monday night game against the previous division champions, darn straight, New England Patriots. And that's what we're going to do this time because that's what we do. And we're going to dive right into the Almighty Takes. Let me go to my Santa bag and pull out some Almighty Takes. Let's get started. Logan says his take is that Sam Darnold wasn't ruined by the Jets and that he truly just isn't as good as some believe him to be. I feel as if the one throw against the 49ers earlier this year that went viral clouded a lot of other people's minds. While he has very subpar weapons and players around him, a lot of the time he has trouble with processing and recognition at the line, and I feel as if in a better situation he could only be so much better. But not at the level in which you believe the offense will be okay, because Sam Darnold is the starter. Thanks for the response. I appreciate it. He suggests maybe a listening party at some point to all get together, listen to like a midnight release of the Bruce exclusive or something. That sounds like fun for this offseason. Maybe we could try it sometime. We could do like a live stream. I don't know. We'll figure something out. It'd be fun. So that's Logan's take. Here's my opinion on Logan's take. I'm going to say somewhat improbable on Logan's take. I think if Ryan Tannehill wasn't having so much success in Tennessee, and I don't know if you guys have been paying attention or not, but Ryan Tannehill has been a very, very good quarterback this year. I was wrong. I thought we were going to see massive regression from Ryan Tannehill because the entirety of Tannehill's success was based on the fact that it was a play-action-heavy attack. And that's not what happened this year. He's still playing at a high level. 
if we didn't see Ryan Tannehill play so well when he got away from Adam Gase, I may be more inclined to think Sam Darnold's actually just not that good. If Adam Gase wasn't such an extremely bad coach, like if if he was just a below average coach, I might be more on board with this. But Adam Gase is, without hyperbole, one of the worst coaches I have ever seen. And to illustrate the point, I'm going to tell you a little bit about crops. That's right. We're going to talk about crops because we're a little crazy on this pod. We have metrics. Yesterday, we talked about feelings. We have talked extensively about logic and reasoning, logical fallacies. Now we're going to talk about crops. There is a large portion of Kansas that is occupied by an area called the Flint Hills. And there have been discussions previously that this land that is currently used for grazing cattle should be converted to growing crops. The funny thing about this area of Kansas is in this area, there's about three inches of topsoil. And immediately underneath that is nothing but rock. Good luck growing crops in that earth. There are certain sections of this country. It is estimated that 85% of grazing acres in the United States of America is not suited for crops. 85% of the places that are currently allocated toward grazing for cattle would not be effective areas in which to grow crops. It doesn't matter how good your seed is. It doesn't matter how good of a farmer you are. You can't grow crops there. You can't grow corn in three inches of topsoil. If that's the metaphor, Adam Gase is one inch of topsoil. Adam Gase might just be bedrock. That's how extreme my opinion is of Adam Gase and how woefully inadequate he is at every single facet of leading an NFL team. It is so extreme that I almost think Sam Darnold gets an N.A. across his name simply by nature of being in Adam Gase's organization and being drafted into it. Could I be wrong? Yes. Could Sam Darnold not end up being a good quarterback? Yes, that could absolutely be true. But I simply don't know how you can judge him with an extreme outlier. It's not like Adam Gase is a below average coach or a less than ideal coach or just not a great coach or a mediocre coach. He's a terrible coach. So terrible coaching, terrible organization in general. Christopher and Woody Johnson have not done a very good job. You add all these things together with the fact that they haven't really given him successful weapons a great running back who was a good fit nothing has gone well for Sam Darnold think about everything that the Bills have done for Josh Allen everything that they've done they could write a book at this point on how to properly develop a quarterback take every single one of those steps and then do the opposite pull a George Costanza do the opposite of those things that's the way the Jets organization should run moving forward Whatever your inclination is, do the exact opposite of that. And maybe you'll have a shot. And so my level of not disdain, 
but my extreme lack of confidence in that organization, if I'm a Jets fan, means I basically can't judge Sam Darnold at all. And so that's kind of my status. I'll wait to see what he looks like in something else, in a different scenario, in something that isn't three inches of topsoil. Paul says, Dear Bruce, hope this email gets to you. I took down your email address while listening to the pod. He is from Galway, a small rural part in the west of Ireland. How is he a huge Bills fan? Well, recently on this pod, we've had people tell their stories and I've read them in the mailbag. So we're going to do that. He says, American football used to be shown on TV when I was a child in the late 80s. I liked the sport without knowing really much about it. Fast forward about 20 years later, I'm traveling for a summer in South America. I remember meeting a fellow traveler from New York. However, much to my surprise, he wasn't from the Big Apple, like I thought all New Yorkers were from. He proceeded to tell me he was from a dairy farm upstate, where it snowed for half the year. He said they got piles of snow and the people there were crazy. He said he was from just outside a city called Buffalo, New York. I had never heard of Buffalo, New York in my life. He then proceeded to tell me of his favorite team, the Buffalo Bills. They were one of the smallest markets in the United States. Their fans were crazy. They got to four Super Bowls in a row and lost all four. It resonated with me, being where I'm from. He told me to check out the Bills' Super Bowl runs on YouTube when I got home. I did, and I've been hooked ever since. My brother is now just as much of a Bills fan as I am. We finally got to visit Buffalo last December for the final Jets game. It was great, but we didn't see any snow, and the Bills started their second string. We planned to return, but COVID-19 put an end to that but we will return how about that it doesn't matter how you got here i counted football cards this dude had a traveler tell him to look up the bills on youtube it doesn't matter how you got here the fact of the matter is you're here are you less of a fan because you weren't born into it am i less of a fan because i wasn't born into it i decided randomly i could have been a fan of any team based on how many cards i had i decided in that moment This is important. We get to decide what we emotionally tether ourselves to. Nobody else gets to make those calls for us. If you decide that you want to be a fan of this team, then you get to make that call. Nobody else can make it for you. If you want to be a friend of someone, you get to decide that. No one else gets to make that for you. When I stood up in the location that will not be named on here, And got married to my wife. I decided. I made a decision. That I was going to emotionally tether myself to that. We get to make those calls. We're not bound by regional geography. Or blood. Or sense of entitlement from somebody else. Or what our family thinks. We get to decide this. And we chose the bills. This guy chose the bills. Paul from Ireland. Rural Ireland chose the Bills. And he's just as much of a fan as anybody else. Down off my soapbox. Paul says for his hot takes, after listening to yesterday's pod about the Josh Allen narrative, I think some analysts will never accept Josh, no matter how much he progresses. It's much more beneficial to stir up Bills Mafia. I know listening to some so-called experts get me mad, but not anymore. I'm not putting any more dollars or euro in their pocket. And number two, 
The Bills will restructure contracts and make signing Matt Milano and Daryl Williams a priority. Choosing certain areas to focus on with their resources while filling in gaps with lesser, cheaper players will be Brandon Bean's mantra going forward. P.S. I am all about 1 o'clock Sunday games at 6 p.m. Irish time. Getting up at 1.20 a.m. is not easy with work the next day. And convincing your wife you're not totally crazy is equally as difficult. That's right. We have a tendency to forget about our friends on the other side of the pond. I don't like primetime games. For them, it's insane. Heck, this guy could be a bigger Bills fan than the rest of us. He's getting up at 1 a.m. to start the game. Paul, thank you so much for your email. In regards to your takes, I don't think that it'll be forever as far as this particular brand of people who like to stir up Bill's Mafia or whatever, whatever their end game is. I don't particularly care, to be honest, what their end game is. Because at some point, the narrative will push so hard back against them that they will actually no longer generate the type of activity that they want. I'll tell you what I mean by that. If somebody said on ESPN that Patrick Mahomes was a bad quarterback, he'd get laughed off the network. At some point, if Josh Allen continues to be this good, they're not going to have a choice. They will have been strong-armed by the overwhelming data. I personally look forward to that, and I hope it happens. In regards to the Bills restructuring contracts, if you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to Anthony Marino and Greg Tomset from Cover One talking about, on an episode of Breaking Buffalo Rumblings a couple weeks back, talking about potential maneuvers that can be made this offseason to generate space. And depending on how many of those Brandon Bean is willing to do, it's not like it's impossible to sign Matt Milano and Daryl Williams. It's improbable, but it's not impossible. And a lot of the discussion around Matt Milano and Daryl Williams is going to come from which one of those players do we think we can replace? Daryl Williams has been a really good right tackle for us. Matt Milano has been a really good outside linebacker for us. Do the Bills think they can find, based on the free agent class that they see, and based on the scenario that they find themselves in in the draft, do they think they can replace one or both of those players for a lesser resource allocation than resigning them? I don't think it's insane that we might only resign one of those players. I don't think that's crazy. I go back and forth myself. There are certain days, literally days, where I'm like, yeah, Daryl Williams, yeah, sure, let's go with him. And then there are other days where I think, no, Matt Milano is too important to the defense. I'm literally going back and forth right now. At some point, I might have to make a call on that and do a pod on it in the offseason, and I'm not looking forward to it. Pete says, Bruce, more of a comment, really, than a take. I read a post from someone today that said Selection Sunday is like Christmas morning. It got me thinking, to really commit to that metaphor, Selection Sunday is really more like Thanksgiving because it means draft season is only a month away. Food for thought, if nothing else. I agree with you. Though, to be honest, draft season is most of the year for me. Um, I stop after the draft, and I start up again right before college football season. So I do get a break. But when college football season starts, I'm back in the swing of things. I don't go year-round because, quite frankly, I just can't. I can't do it. I need a break. If I was a professional at it, like some people you know, Joe Marino, for example, Draft Network, then 
obviously I would do it year round because it's my full-time job, but you know, you may find this hard to believe, but I do have a full-time job <laughs> that doesn't revolve around this. In fact, there, there's my, there you go. There's my spoiler for Bruce's identity. I am not a professional podcaster for a living. That's it. Spoiled it. Just gave away my identity. Thanks a lot, Pete. I appreciate it. Cfath says, hi, Bruce Nolan. First and foremost, huge fan of the show. Thank you for the countless hours of content you've provided over the years. You are quite welcome, Cfath. Thank you for saying thank you. As for his almighty take, I believe that opposing teams should always go for the two-point conversion against the Bills. While I don't have stats in front of me, I don't believe the Bills have stopped a single two-point conversion this season. If I'm not mistaken, I don't believe the Bills were much better during the 2019 season, as I remember it being a source of frustration for me. I hope the Bills are able to make necessary adjustments to stifle teams in the playoffs. The Bills are about 83% as far as not stopping opponents convert against the Bills about 83% of the time. They were about 80% last year. So that's way too high. Right now, that play is kind of 50-50. Like, literally, it's 50-50. It's in, in the high 40s to low 50s pretty much every year. So it is an extreme issue. And I haven't really done the work to know why that is. It's it's in the plans for the offseason, but I'll level with you. I'm staring at my, my notepad right here. And it has all the things I'm going to do this offseason. And there are, goodness gracious, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 27 specific ideas that are not based around the things that are happening in the offseason. So that's 27 pod ideas I have that are not related to the draft, free agency, the playoffs, big news, contract extensions, narratives that come up, all that stuff that generates content for you. So I don't even know if I'm going to get to all these. Now, every time I have an idea or someone suggests something, I'm still going to put it on there because I could, you know, a lot of this stuff I could use the next off season. A lot of this stuff is philosophically based. And you know that because you've listened to this pod. Sometimes we'll do a pod on food just for no apparent reason, because I think it's fun. And I might bust out a song as an intro because I think that's fun. This is eclectic as crap, ladies and gentlemen. This is a weird pod with an eclectic and goofy host, and I'm cool with it. I just steer right into the skid. We did an entire pod on nothing but quarterback metrics. I'm cool with that too. You never know what you're going to get. Mom always said Bruce is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So I haven't done the work to really know what it is that is happening on the Bills two-point conversions, but I think there's a significant enough sample size that if I was an opposing coach, I'd go for two every time. I agree with you. The second almighty take is I don't believe Aaron Rodgers should be the MVP favorite, nor should the Packers be ranked in anyone's list of top three teams in the NFL. While he's having a terrific season, he has been a beneficiary of perhaps the easiest schedule in the NFL, as he will be playing only four teams that currently have a record above 500 at this time. He's currently one and two in those games at the time of this email. I would currently have Mahomes as the favorite and Allen as a close second. While Mahomes and Allen have more interceptions and slightly fewer touchdowns than Rodgers, they've played significantly better teams. One could argue that Mahomes and Allen have better receivers, but Rodgers has significantly better offensive line and a better running game. Sincerely, CFAF. Okay, 
I agree with you that Aaron Rodgers had, has played less teams overall. But if you will recall my podcast about quarterback metrics, we have a metric that will account for the defense he's facing. Not just the team. First off, let's start with that. Aaron Rodgers is number two in the NFL in DVOA. DVOA, defense-adjusted value over average. So that means if you take a play, a scenario, and you have every quarterback in the league that runs it against that team, have it occur. And then you have that same scenario occur with Aaron Rodgers against that team. He performs markedly better. So yes... He has played lesser teams. I don't think he's necessarily played lesser defenses overall. But even with that, and even with a statistic, a metric, if you will, that accounts for that, he's still number two in DVOA. Secondly, CFAT, did you did, did you imply that wins are a quarterback stat in this economy? He said he played only four teams that have a record above 500 and he is currently one and two in those games at the time of this email cfeth you break my heart you come on my pod and you imply that wins are a quarterback stat i just i just need a minute okay i'm heartbroken i'm crushed i'm kidding obviously but I think that Aaron Rodgers has played lesser teams, but he doesn't necessarily play lesser defenses. And even in accounting for that, he's still been very good. I would put Patrick Holmes and Aaron Rodgers above Josh Allen in this list. For sure. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to win the MVP, barring anything catastrophic. And if I was being objective, I would vote for him for MVP. He would get my vote. Patrick Mahomes would get my vote for MVP. If I was being objective. Now, if I'm being a homer, obviously Josh Allen gets literally all the votes. I do think there will be occasions during the voting process where somebody makes an argument for Josh Allen. And I think there's an argument to be made. I just don't think it's as strong as the argument for Patrick Mahomes. Jesse says, Bruce, after the Cardinals game, we talked about the process of developing confidence. The Bills have been venturing into uncharted territory of double-digit halftime leads, a new kind of pressure for a perennial underperformer. Overcoming the pressure of heightened expectations would be the next step in the championship process of the Buffalo Bills. To loosely paraphrase 38 Special, taking the next step would require the Bills to confidently hold on loosely to victory rather than clinging too tightly for fear of repeating traumatic failures of the past. They would have had to slowly build a track record of success that breeds the compounding confidence of championship caliber teams. After all, a track record of success gives players the confidence to play freely, which leads to increased confidence and greater success in a never-ending feedback loop. Over the last three weeks, I've watched the Bills develop this confidence to a level where I'm now ready to proclaim that a fearsome force has arisen in the AFC. This is a hardworking and humble band of brothers who are loyal to themselves, to their cities, and to excellence in their craft. They play with philosophical purity that aligns with the spirit of competition. Their workmanlike, servant-oriented brand of e-spirit decor has taken on a tinged ruthlessness that is becoming a terror to the rest of the league. Three weeks in a row, the Bills have trounced opponents like a Roman legion burning villages and salting fields to break barbarian spirits. I don't see any reason why the Bills won't also break the spirits of the Patriots next week. Seeing that the Bills have continued to harden their run defense as the Patriots' offense has sputtered, it's hard to imagine the Patriots replicating the rushing success of their matchup against the Bills earlier this year. 
on the other side of the ball, the Bills have proven they can score at will against any defense. Furthermore, unlike the beginning of the year, the Bills can now bomb opponents through the air or bleed them out on the ground. I'm going to predict a 27-20 Bills victory in a game that won't be as close as the score suggests. Expect Matt Barkley to get a few fourth quarter snaps as the Bills cruise to 12-3 and a chance at the number two seed heading into week 17. The Bills are rolling and now are as good as any team in the NFL. First off, if you haven't listened to Anthony Marino's pod from earlier this week, please go do that because he talks about letting go as a fan base of the things that we held on to that made us think, oh gosh, here go the Bills again. They're going to Bills. They're going to Bills it up. It's so Billsy. Using the name of the team as an adjective that was not overly positive was part of us just expecting failure. And I do think that confidence is a big part of this Bills team at this point. Knowing that if you go out there and you play your game, the coaches aren't going to inhibit your success. The quarterback's not going to inhibit your success. Your drastic lack of talent is not going to inhibit your success. You're going to be okay if you just play your game. So I do think confidence is a big part of this for the Bills. And you can see that grow. And I do think this is a different and better Bills team than it was the last time they played the Patriots. I say this take is somewhat probable. Chris says, Bruce, thank you for all that you and your better half contribute to Buffalo Rumblings. First off, I'm going to stop you right there. I appreciate you acknowledging the role that my wife plays in this. Not only just by supporting me and allowing me to do these things that I do and lock myself in this studio multiple times a week for hours in order to get this done, but also to occasionally join me on the pod. For example, right now. What's up, Bill's Mafia? Thank you so much. You are too kind and a very, very Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. There you go, Bill's Mafia. She just pops in occasionally with like tea and things because she's the best. So I just want to make sure that, you know, she said thank you for you saying thank you. The rest of the email is this. Since I am a numbers guy by trade, I really enjoy your perspective on metrics. And as such, it pains me to make my first almighty take in this manner, anecdotal instead of empirical. The Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs bomb midway through the third quarter with the score 35-13 announces to the league that the next phase of winning culture has arrived at one Bills drive. From expecting to compete to expecting to win to expecting to dominate less talented and poorly coached teams. I was enjoying an adult malted beverage and some nachos, expecting a prevent offense of two runs and an incomplete pass to bleed a minute and a half a clock, but instead found myself watching the Bills finish games in a manner of how truly elite teams finish games. It truly did feel like 1995 all over again. I fully expect Bill Belichick to surrender without dignity this week by starting Jared Stidham and instructing his defense to take cheap shots at Josh Allen. I hope that you and Mrs. Bruce enjoy a wonderful Christmas. First off, thank you for that. Um, I, I When I saw this email, I actually yelled across the house to my wife and said, hey, come on in here and I want you to see this. Somebody addressed you in their email and I want you to say, say hi and say thank you. So I appreciate that. In regards to your take, I, I mentioned the ruthlessness of this when I was on 
with Eric Turner from Cover One, who was in the film room with me earlier this week. Ruthlessness was the word that I used, a specific level of aggression. So I don't think that was lost on me by any means. I do think that the take about Bill Belichick starting Jared Stidham is probably not going to happen because he has kind of gotten sick of it. They asked him about the quarterback thing, and he said, listen, Cam Newton's our starting quarterback until I tell you otherwise. How's that sound? Like, he could sound like he was getting kind of annoyed at hearing about it. I think he's going to roll out Cam Newton again. And Bill Belichick will press the absolute limits of the things that are legal, for sure. But Bill Belichick, it's important to note, has reverence for the game of football. When Rob Gronkowski dropped an elbow on Tredavious White, Bill Belichick pulled him from the game, and after the game, went over to Sean McDermott and told him in, I'm going to make sure this is a, a PG version of what he told Sean McDermott, that that was bullcrap. He was mad at Rob Gronkowski for taking a cheap shot at Tredavious White. I don't think that the Greg Williams dirty comes with Bill Belichick. That's just not my opinion of the way that Bill Belichick coaches his teams because there's a certain amount of reverence he has for the game of football. And if we want to yell at him about cheating and pushing the rules, that's fine. But I don't think Bill Belichick's dirty by any means. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable as a general rule on that take. Jake says, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, my enigmatic imaginary friend. That's right. I'm not really real. I'm just a figment of your imagination. I'll try to keep this as short as possible because I know I always write the equivalent of a college thesis, but I'm not accustomed to incomplete thoughts. So here goes. As long as Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are the GM and coach combination that we see in Buffalo, Bill's Mafia can expect sustained success. Not necessarily Super Bowl contention every year, but more often than not, I believe this team is going to win its division rather than make a wild card appearance. This is an important shift in attitude for the Mafia, no longer having to feel like an underdog against anyone they play, save the Chiefs. That being said, the national media will always have some doubt and back Mahomes is the best, but if Allen proves he is able to slay the dragon or Kermit the Frog, however you refer to Mahomes, the Bills are looking at a Peyton Tom Brady scenario brewing in the AFC where these teams are competing for the next 10 years and alternate Super Bowl appearances. This is the first Bills team I've been alive for that has won a division title, so I'm over the moon at the moment. In harmony with my last email, I believe I now have a theme song for the 2020 Bills Mafia that isn't the shout song, Tragedy in Time by Rise Against. Quick aside, this is the second Rise Against song that I've had suggested. Does Bills Mafia have a thing with Rise Against that I just don't know about? Did I miss, like, the memo? Was there an email? My fax machine's been unplugged for about 20 years. Maybe that's it. Maybe they sent me a fax and I just didn't get it. But the chorus to Tragedy Plus Time says, And nothing matters but the pain when you're alone, the never-ending nights when you're awake, when you're praying that tomorrow it's okay, there will be a time to crack another smile. But maybe not today or for a while. But we're holding on to laugh again someday to laugh again someday. There's some other lyrics in there that have a a resonating sort of feeling about the Buffalo Bills fandom in 2020. It's a little bit emo for me. I'll level with you. You know, they use 
pretty strong language like knives and dark nights and puddles of tears. And I understand that there's a significant emotional connection being someone who has a rooting interest in the team myself. It's just a little much for me. It's just, a, it's, a, it's, it's, we just crossed over a little bit too far for my particular liking for this to be like the theme song. But you know what? Maybe we might do a pot on that this offseason. Let me write that one down. Theme songs for the Bills season. Oh, well. He says, it speaks to the tragedy of the drought and the overwhelming pain of being a Bills fan for so long, but the fan base, in the midst of what has been one of the worst in human history on a global scale, finally has something to smile and laugh about, despite overwhelming odds. I've attached a clip for your listening pleasure. I did listen to it, by the way. Also, he did a thing... Uh, in his email where we try to calculate how fast the ball was going, I actually did it on Twitter as well before I saw this. We calculated that without calculating the uh, drag coefficient, Josh Allen's throw to Jake Kumro was roughly around 54.5 miles an hour. Now, obviously, there's a drag coefficient. There's a slight angle that goes along with that. So it's probably a little bit faster than that, probably in the 56-ish mile per hour mark. But that's roughly how fast the ball to Jake Kumro was going. Um in a game without really stepping into it significantly, that's an absolute rocket shot. So we know Jake is a rise against person for sure. I'm all about it. I feel like maybe when this COVID thing is over, we can all like play guitar hero together or something. If I could find a way to do that online without me, like actually having to show up to anything or meet anybody or do anything, that would be great. Moving along. Sean says, as the weeks pass, every good win degrades its worth. This is not to say that at the time, each win was not a statement win. Each week, they're up to the challenge. All of those wins were statements. That COVID stretch because of the non-protocol Titans is an enigma. I only fear Tennessee only because of Henry. They did neutralize him, though. They can beat the Chiefs. Happiest and safe holidays, Sean and Fort Collins. I agree with you. There isn't a team that I think out there the Bills cannot beat this year. Like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. I think there are some that have a higher probability than others, but this Bills team is not so inferior to any team in the league that going into the game, you should be expecting, preparing, and getting yourself mentally prepped for a loss. That doesn't mean that they're favored or it would be easy. It just means that the best team in the league that's not the Bills even the games against those teams, you could go in going, okay, this is a tough game. We've got to do certain things right. We've got to have certain things maybe go our way. But this is not a so superior of a team that the Bills can't hang with them. And that's that's a good feeling. I agree with you, Sean. Samuel says, Bruce, I love the show. I love doing the show. Thanks, Samuel. Do you think Dable will leave and take a head coaching job? Yes, I do. I do think Dable will leave and take a head coaching job. There have been discussions on social media about Brian Dable and how he's from Buffalo in the Western New York area and he likes it here. And that's true. The thing you have to understand about coaches in the NFL is that when you are a coach in the NFL, it's always the next challenge. It's always the next thing. There's part of that type A alpha personality that just comes along with being a coach where they're the vast majority of them are very ambitious people and are not going to turn down an opportunity to run their own show because they like where they're at. 
So I do think Dable will leave and get a head coaching job. And I think it will be deserved for him. When you have an endorsement from Sean McDermott, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban, that matters. When you have overseen one of the greatest increases in passing efficiency in recent memory from a quarterback directly, whether or not you want to give Dable some, a bunch, or all of the credit, the NFL will give him some of the credit. You could just give 100% of it to Josh Allen. You could throw in some to Jordan Palmer. We could do a plurality pie for who is responsible for Josh Allen's growth. But the NFL will look at Brian Dable as a big piece of that. I can tell you that for sure. And when he gets hired by another team, that will be part of the press release. That will be part of the story that is written by that team. Gosh, look what he did for Josh Allen. What can he do for our quarterback? So I do think. He will take a head coaching job if he is offered it. And I do think he'll be offered it this offseason. Samuel says, here's a take. Tyler Bass will, at some point in his career, break or tie the record for longest field goal in NFL history. Highly probable. I mean, I have to go somewhat improbable or highly improbable just because it's a, it's a, it's an all-time record. It's an all-time record for its by itself. The situation has to be perfect. The atmosphere has to be perfect. The wind has to be perfect. It's just a lot of things that has to happen for you to make that kick and even get the shot at a kick like that. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say somewhat improbable only because Tyler Bass has got a huge leg. I mean, Sebastian Janikowski got a crack at some really, really significant kicks in his life. Just because the option was open, like at the end of the half, the option was open. And when the option is there, it's more likely to get taken advantage of. Trevor says, good morning, Bruce. First off, want to wish you and your family a safe and Merry Christmas. I've had multiple people emailing me and wishing my family and me a safe and Merry Christmas. and I really appreciate that. Trevor's almighty take. Bill throws in the towel and we see a healthy dose of Stidham. I already talked about that earlier. I don't think it's going to happen. I can see it, but... I don't think it's going to happen. I'll be willing to eat my crow if I'm wrong. I imagine they try to play spoiler in the first half, realize they're outmatched, and we get to see New England's backup play snaps in the second half. Now, that's something we might see. We might see Stidham roll out in the second half because Cam's getting his, his bell rung. That's a possibility. Part two, we get more quality rushing from Singletary and Moss. I think this is a result of us looking ahead to the postseason and not wanting to have Allen get injured and the fact that the ground game has improved. I'll tell you this, if New England rolls out six defensive backs against heavier personnel the way that they did in the first game, you might see another heavy dose of Moss and Singletary. I don't know if Bill Belichick is going to roll out the same plan he rolled out before, but if he did, you could very well see it. If they're going to make it so that it's obvious that you should run the ball? Sure, why not? Yestin says, hey, Bruce, my almighty take for week 16 is that Bill Belichick doesn't tank. He may have been eliminated from playoff contention, but he's going to do what he's got to do to win this game, even if he starts Stidham. He'll likely do what we did last time and force the run against a pass-heavy defensive set as Bill tries to mitigate Josh Allen's impact on the game. If so, it'll be closer than we like, but still a solid W. Yestin Harris. Okay, I don't know if Bill Belichick's going to roll out the same plan. He doesn't have a tendency to roll out the same plan twice in a year, especially against offensive coordinators he respects. So I would be shocked. I'd be surprised if he rolled out six defensive backs again against the Bills because he doesn't have a tendency to do the same thing twice. 
But if he does, I mean, then by all means, if you go to 21 or 12 personnel and he rolls out six defensive backs, okay, let's run. That's fine. I'm cool with it. But I'm going to say somewhat improbable. I just don't think he's going to do it again. He might. And if he does, I'll jump on this podcast next week and go, well, that was bad take by me. Devin says, had an interesting thought this weekend that doesn't really matter, but it's fun. Would the Bills be the best punt, pass, and kick team of all time if you could use three different people from the same team? Yes. Yes is the answer. This is an amazing take, and I love it. Josh Allen, Corey Bohorquez, and Tyler Bass. Punt, pass, kick. They would absolutely dominate in punt, pass, and kick. Maybe the GOAT punt, pass, and kick combination. I mean, if you just go with the NFL currently as it is, I cannot think of a single one that'd be better. I mean, Harrison Butker, Patrick Mahomes make that a good one. But if you look at the strongest arms and try and pair it, I mean, Matthew Stafford's got a cannon, but Matt Prater's leg isn't what it was. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm good with this. Rob says, hot takes for week 16 and beyond. Number one, Josh Allen throws his first interception in the red zone. (gasps) Rob, you get that bad juju out of here. I'm kidding. But otherwise has a fine game as the Bills beat the pass for the second time this season. I do think if Josh Allen was going to throw an interception in the red zone, Bill Belichick would clearly be the guy. You know, something sneaky, something weird that Allen hasn't seen before. I'm going to say highly improbable just because it's never happened before, but it's a bold take. Josh Allen finishes top three for MVP. I think it's highly probable. I do. I think it's Mahomes, Rogers, Allen. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm highly probable on that take. Brian Dable will be named the head coach of the Houston Texans next season, despite the fact that they have to wait several weeks to interview him due to the Bills' playoff run. I can see Dable to the Texans. I can see Dable to the Texans. The only thing that makes me interested in that is that they may want a combination head coach GM and the Bills' Brian Gain used to already be there. So Gain might have some things to say about the Houston Texans organization, or maybe that Bill O'Brien's gone now. It's different. I think the Houston Texans are a possibility. I think the Chargers are a big possibility for them, especially given Justin Herbert's ability. But I'm going to say somewhat improbable just because it's a very specific take, but I can I can see it. Scottish Bills Mafia says, Almighty take, week 16. Bills beat the Pats, Colts beat the Steelers, Pack beat the Titans. We are then guaranteed the number two seed. We rest all the starters versus the Dolphins. Start Jake Fromm. And he throws for 250 and two touchdowns and a pick in a sneaky 30-27 loss versus the Finns. But looks like a serviceable backup. The bonus to that is the Ravens miss out on the playoffs to the Finns. And we have them in the wildcard round. So first off, I think all those things are possible. The Bills beating the Patriots, the Colts beating the Steelers, and the Pack beating the Titans. All of those things are probable. I think that... I would be having all three of them at the same time is tough parlaying all of them, but each one individually seems possible to me. The starting the from thing, I don't think is going to happen because starting from would mean if he's not COVID that we would then have to isolate someone else. We'd have to swap him out, isolate Matt Barkley. And I just don't think they're willing to do it. I think that Jake from as the emergency quarterback is going to stay the emergency quarterback completely separate from the rest of the team. And if the Bills quarterback room goes down due to COVID, then you can step him in. But if you bring him in, that's 
for a scenario that's not COVID related, then you're defeating the purpose of him doing the thing he was doing. And he says, almighty take once his rookie deal expires, Wyatt Teller signs back with the bills. Bean knew that Teller couldn't properly develop with a log jam at offensive line last year, shipped him to a team where he could start. By the time his rookie deal expires, guys like Feliciano and Winters basically age out of their starter roles, leaving a spot for Teller. Plus, I don't think Cleveland has the money to retain him with what they're spending elsewhere on offense and where they need to upgrade on defense. I'm going to say this is highly improbable. Really good guards don't have a tendency to hit the free agent market super often, but the Browns are in the same scenario as the Bills. They've got a quarterback they have to decide if they're going to pay big money to, and if they pay big money to him, it's going to tighten the straps elsewhere. The wallet's going to be zipped up a little bit tighter. It's uncommon for a player who was traded away to come back. That doesn't happen very often, but in this particular situation, it's probably even less likely for Wyatt Teller after he became a really good guard to come back around to the bills. I'm going to say highly improbable. It just doesn't happen very often. And Cleveland and Buffalo are going to be in very similar positions from a cap standpoint here soon. Low Buffa says, not sure if you're still accepting almighty takes. I am. But for the New England game, I'm hoping Belichick comes up with a defensive game plan that the Bills actually struggle with. I want them to see a game plan now that presents challenges so they have time to work on it before the playoffs. Thanks for all the work you put in. I didn't really think about it until you said this. I don't want to see him struggle, but I do want to see a different look. Does that make sense? I want to see Belichick throw something weird at them because I think it's valuable learning always, but I don't want to see him struggle against it. I just want to see them see it, if that makes sense. If Belichick throws something crazy in, say he starts running crazy amounts of cover two invert or cover six or, you know, cover five and then buzzes things, anything like that. If he starts throwing crazy crap out there, right? He runs crazy soft zone one play and then brings the all out blitz the next play. Whatever it is, I I would like them to see it because I think there's value in seeing it, but I don't necessarily know if there's value against struggling with it because seeing it and doing well against it builds more confidence. So I think that the value is in seeing it, not necessarily struggling against it. Ryan says, I don't know if this is an almighty take, but here's my Super Bowl contender definition. We talked about Super Bowl contender last week. He says, a team who on any given Sunday has the ability to beat any other team without the aid of flukes, referees, or outlier performances from players. Example, Mahomes three interception game, Saints NFC title game pass interference call, Derrick Henry going for 200 plus every game, Minneapolis miracle game, and so on and so forth. I have heard this definition before from a different individual. I cannot remember off the top of my head who it was, but I heard this definition from somebody before in my real life, not my Bruce life in my actual, like other personality has heard this. So I guess I Bruce haven't heard it. My other name redacted character has heard it and I understand it, but games turn on pivotal plays all the time. Games are really close Those things that you talk about, those flukes, those happen so often. So often you have one or two big plays that changes things. How are we going to define fluke at that point? You know what I mean? You have a big, I mean, Derrick Henry going for 200 plus every game. Derrick Henry goes for 200 plus a lot of games. So do we call every single one where he goes for a big yardage fluke? It, It just gets a little gray for me. 
when we start defining it this way. So I'm down with it. I think you're on the right track with this definition. I think we could probably, quite frankly, we could do an entire off-season pod on just definitions and just defining the things that we all take for granted. So first off, Ryan, thank you for giving me that idea because that's a cool idea. And maybe we'll get to it this off-season. Patch says, my almighty take is the Bills team this season will be studied by future organizations on how to build a sustainable organization in the upcoming generations of talent. In two years, McBean will re- reveal a new motto, dynasty caliber. I've said before, I think the Bills could write a book on how to develop a quarterback. And we might even go farther than that. They could write a book on how to develop a franchise. Now, let's not go so far. We haven't won a playoff game yet, ladies and gentlemen. But if this level of success continues, then I do think that there will be discussions about how a previously inept organization will have been turned around by two dudes from Carolina. So I'm going to say this is a somewhat probable take. Ladies and gentlemen, we're 50 minutes in. 50 minutes in. We haven't taken our break yet. I'm exhausted. We're going to power through. Stick with me. We're going to do crumbling the cookies right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Let's crumble some cookies. Here's what the Bills need to do. Upcoming Monday night football game against the New England Patriots. On defense, rob the middle. Cam Newton has not been overly effective as a passer in 2020, but the best of his metrics come when throwing to the middle of the field. In between the numbers on throws 20 plus yards down the field, Newton has a passer rating of 99.6. And in between the numbers from 10 to 20 yards, his passer rating is 104.2. Throwing outside the numbers and deep have been extreme problem areas for him this year. So understanding the successful areas can allow the Bills to present two high looks at the snap, make him think the middle of the field is open, and then bringing Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer down post-snap to rob the middle of the field. Whether they're buzzing crossers or whether they're robbing, either way, it works. However you want to word that. Different people call different things different things, but... I think that we need to be wary that the best success that Cam Newton has is in the middle of the field. On offense, don't be scared of this defense. And I don't mean that psychologically, don't be scared of them. Obviously, don't be scared of them. But I have said before on this podcast that the Buffalo Bills team that we've seen in 2020 does its best work when it's passing first and often. And unless there are extreme circumstances, for example... 40 mile an hour wins the Patriots playing six defensive backs, regardless of what offensive personnel you roll out. Then they should continue along the path of throwing the ball. We talked about this ad nauseum after the chargers game. This is a passing team. They should keep doing that unless there's something extreme. Now there are extreme circumstances. I'm not saying you beat your head against the wall and you throw, 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 you know, Josh Allen goes out. You got Matt Barkley. You just keep throwing. No, there are extreme circumstances where you shouldn't do that. But unless they're presented with this, the the reputation of the Patriots defense is not good enough for you to freak out about. 
They're 23rd in DVOA and 20th in PFF grade. And Stefan Gilmore is out for the season after a partially torn quad. Don't change your plan and your identity, if you will. I know we use that term. We don't really like it. I don't really like it either. But don't change the things you do well for an idea of what the Patriots used to be. J.C. Jackson's a good corner, ladies and gentlemen. He is. But you shouldn't go in expecting the Patriots' defense to be able to shut down the thing that you do. That used to be the case for the Buffalo Bills. You do what you do unless something extreme happens. So let's throw the ball. Plus, John Brown's probably coming back. So that's good, too. We did it, ladies and gentlemen. We crumbled cookies. We did almighty takes. We went through a lot of them. And until next time, remember, a Merry Christmas to you. This special Christmas episode, I hope you left cookies out for Santa. And when he comes down the chimney and when he grabs a bite of them and he puts his finger by his nose and poof, pops up the chimney again, he might say to you, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Santa Claus, Buffalo Rumble.